four products in pipeline. So first product we are doing is a conduit. It's a, it's a small tissue-based tube with a valve inside. So many pediatric patients are born without a pulmonary valve or they have a kind of attrition in the pulmonary valve. So they put this conduit there to suture it and hopefully it will grow with patient and it will stay there. But uh, we have other patches and sometimes you have a hole that you want to cover the hole with the patch. So we are coming, uh, we got another grant for patch. It's kind of a square patch that they can cut to the size and suture it. And that patch will also grow with patient. We are also making a, a heart valve that can be implanted uh, with the percutaneous, you know, instead of opening your chest, now they can do percute, that means uh, percutaneous. So they put a, put, a, put a valve in a stent and they put your, through your groin and it goes all the way to your heart. It's a non-invasive surgery, minimally invasive surgery. This is Of Note, a podcast on innovation. I'm Laura McIntosh. And I'm Joseph Nother. Of Note is powered by Scribble, South Carolina Department of Commerce's Office of Innovation. Join us as we talk with some of the most inspirational entrepreneurs, leaders, and scientists across the state as they share their experiences with invention, growth, funding, culture, and creativity. Our innovator today is no stranger to navigating the public-private model. It's how he has brought several innovations born from his academic research to market. It might be nebulous to some, but the process is a glimpse into how basic and applied research makes its way into mainstream society. One example is a cosmetics product that he has launched utilizing similar technology, but that is not the focus of our time with Naren Vyavahare today. We are focused on a technology called the TX Guard, an invention Naren has spent many years perfecting because it could save and enhance lives around the world. The low-level hum of equipment in the background, the hard reflections of the lab tables, and the almost alien-looking appearance of the implant itself belies what's really at stake here. Naren is trying to increase the odds of success that children born with a congenital heart defect lead normal, healthy lives. In stark contrast to this environment in which we filmed and recorded this interview, the emotional narrative resonates with warmth, hope, and humanity. The opportunity to touch lives contrasts the complex business, legal, and institutional partnership process in which innovation is accelerated. We may talk about the science and that process that brings public, academic, and private resources together, but at the core is a personal story and a passionate sense of purpose to make a difference. If we are to see more of these life-changing innovations in the future, it will come from a mastery of this process. And so with that, let's listen to one of the masters. So my name is uh, Naren Bevahare. I'm a Hunter Endowed Chair and Professor of Bioengineering at Clemson for the last 22 years. And I'm also a CSO for Anovient. So Anovient is developing uh, breakthrough medical devices that can be used in uh, uh, pediatric patients. Those are with the congenital heart disease. So we are trying to develop device that can grow with patient and it will not cause thrombosis or any other issues with the device. Currently, you know, there are devices that are made up of tissues. Uh, these are uh, animal tissues coming from bovine or uh, cows or pigs, but they are fixed in a chemical called glutaraldehyde. So once they are fixed, they do not degrade. So they stay in your body for forever. So these are, you know, if you have a baby, it is very small. If you put a device, which is a very small for that baby, 
but baby will grow rapidly and then they, this device need to be replaced every year maybe uh, two years and they also you know because babies are so active uh, metabolism it can damage degrade the tissue cause calcification of tissues so we are trying to develop a tissue that is biocompatible and hopefully cells will get in and grow with patients so you don't need a it will degrade slowly this tissue this can be used for multiple different uh, kind of applications we can use it for uh, maybe you know we can use it for wound healing for the skins if someone somebody has wound healing anywhere that tissue can grow and slowly remodel and turn into a normal tissue the most interesting aspect of Naren and Anovian's medical innovation might be that this man-made soft tissue is permanent. But why is that so important? Yeah, so I think very important because you know, every year if you have to go through a surgery for a you know, baby, it's very traumatic for patients as well as their families. And sometimes uh, surgeries don't go very well. So if you can prevent surgeries, you can prevent you know, all the trauma as well as uh, you can prevent healthcare costs too. We are hoping that it will go in the patients in 2023. So we are trying to get into patients. So I think, uh, you know, because we got FDA approved our product as a, it's called a humanitarian device exemption, HED. So that, that means if the, if the device are only using 8,000 or uh, low number of patients, 8,000 or less, they give this uh, status. So we can go in patients very quickly. Preventing surgeries, reducing healthcare costs, preventing trauma. And as Naran mentioned, this is significant for babies or pediatric patients. Yeah, so I'm working on a, you know, medical devices, cardiovascular devices for the last 25, 30 years. Most of my work was on adult patients. And adults are used, when you use a device in adults, you know, they're about 60, 70 years of age. And if that lasts for 10, 20 years, that's okay for that patient. So, you know, these devices are cross-linked and fixed. So they do not grow with, you don't need growth there. But they have problem of calcification. They actually calcify, that means deposition of calcium crystals in it, and it becomes very brittle and it falls apart. But then when we start talking to pediatric patients, you know, pediatric uh, surgeons, they say, you know, these devices are not good for patients. I mean, they are, you know, what the problem right now is that, uh, you know, pediatric market is so small, that big companies don't get into it. So what they're doing is they're using the adult devices in the pediatric patients. Nobody is developing specific something for pediatric. So that's where we realize that you know, we need to develop something that can actually help patients. Even though there's a small population, we can hopefully get something that, you know, that is good for the baby. You know. I always wanted a translational research. I wanted to develop something that can go in patient before I die. That is the thing that really I, my passion is. And you know, I did for 20 years. Now I really want to take, because I have established myself. Now I thought maybe I should take some time off and use all the research that I made to products. And that's where I started thinking about, you know, we had to start up companies myself and take it to a certain level. Then we can talk to bigger companies to take it forward. His whole goal was to develop a solution that could grow with the patient. And he has. Naren's innovation comes from seeking a solution to a pre-existing problem, which he identified from his own personal research as well as findings from clinicians. So I define innovation is that you try to find new ways to solve any problems. You know, first you find out what are the problems. You know, you always talk to end users. We, in our case, is a, you know, in the clinicians, right? Clinicians always tell you, okay, this doesn't work. This is the problem we have. Then you try to find out what is out there and why it's not working, and try to find different ways that you, with your knowledge, can it be done better? 
And that's, that's what I think this generation is. We can find solutions. Many of the clinicians Naran mentioned have actually become his collaborators. So I think our collaborator is, uh, you know, these are mostly clinicians. So I think I have, in Harvard, I have John Meyer, who is a very well-known uh, cardiothoracic pediatric surgeon. And we had a grant together for, you know, for adult patients. And he was telling me, you know, I think if you can develop something for small babies pediatric, it would be a better thing to do. So I think that's where I started thinking about, is there anything that we can develop? And we already had some technology that can be used. So we said, okay, maybe we can try with him. So I sent him some samples. He actually implanted in sheep and it looked good. Yeah, so it's a, it's a long, you know, very long process in the medical device field. Uh, it takes, uh, you know, from the beginning, from the bench to understanding something and taking it forward. It takes many, many years, maybe five to six, five to ten years to really take it forward. So it's, it's a very slow process. So I think patience is what research is all about. And uh, research, every time research does not work, research is always, it's called research. So it comes to researching it. And you know, sometimes you get lucky and you get something good. But I think uh, I learned from, you know, I mean, there's a nice uh, saying from Edison. You know, Edison said, I learned 10,000 ways how it does not work. I did not fail. That's how we do it. We always do it and just say, okay, you know, I had to tell my students too, that, you know, maybe it doesn't work. That means that, that we I found out this, this doesn't work. Now we can go this way. And try to find ways to, maybe you, one way you'll find it, it works. Research and the innovation that follows can be a long and arduous process. So what gave Naren the motivation? His desire to give patients solutions. I wanted to become actually a doctor, but I couldn't do it uh, when I was you know, growing up in India. There was financial and other other issues that we, I could not do it. So I got into this uh, medical device, kind of a biomedical engineering field. And that was my passion was always that try to find some solutions for patients. So I came from engineering background than a medical, but I think it actually is even better. Because now I, I know, you know clinicians can only use that product, but I can actually make the product that they can use, so that is actually more exciting. Laura, once again, we have another one of those episodes that is bleeding edge, high science and technology, which sometimes again puts fear and trepidation into, into our hearts and minds here. But what is interesting about this is how it is actually quite uh, touching to both the heart and the mind based on what they do, right? Because and I think you'll you'll probably do a better job of explaining this than I will. But 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 they really are focused. Narin's really focused on the betterment of society with this technology. Yeah, I don't know if I'll do a better job, but I'm going to try really hard <laughs> to 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 put into some layman's terms just how cutting edge and the importance of what Narin has been working on in the lab. Um, so congenital heart disease, it affects approximately forty thousand, and that's just in the U.S and 1.3 million globally newborns. So that's just newborns each year. And so for shorthand, that's CHD. Um, and the total number of patients in the U.S. affected by CHD is now estimated to be 2.4 million patients. So his technology, there's, wow. there, he's obviously in a space that's highly needed. Mm -hmm. And the current solutions are just not great. They, they require, uh, usually as the patient grows, right? Newborn, doesn't stay a newborn forever. Right. The current solutions usually require additional um, changes and, and surgeries uh, to basically adapt with the newborn as it grows. And well, those implants you're talking the about, The implants, right? yeah. 
And uh, that's really what his technology takes away, change, though, right. is is that that ne- that need for ongoing surgery. So, right when we were talking to him, I, I kept thinking about because I, I always try to figure out, you know, put put something in an analogy or an analog. And for me, it was people getting braces. And the old technology of, you know, every time you had to get braces, of course, usually it's in, you know, your early childhood up through your teen years, your face, your mouth, everything's growing, changing, et cetera, et cetera. So I have to keep putting different things in until they were able to figure out a way to make something grow with you. Um, and I think even still now, you still have to replace certain pieces that, you know, right? Every Or some people so have some things have in their mouths forever. For, yeah. So <laughs> I, I think what, what, you know, with the way... With the way Narin's talking about it, he's sort of talking about, look, the, the, the current technology or, or older technology for dealing with uh, for dealing with CHD is that if the patient, if the child has a missing valve or some issues with a vein or an artery, uh, or maybe they've got issues with, uh, uh, you know, what, what chamber of the heart or whatever, that, that, that whatever is put in has to be changed or replaced as that heart and that child grows. Right. But the, he's found a way not to do that, right? Yeah, the majority of these patients will require a conduit or some kind of patch augmentation in their pulmonary system, period, for all those exact reasons. And even a little further, the current materials that, that they're using have significant limitations to them, which then also require multiple reinvention or reinterventions um, so again, we're just talking about more and more surgeries for the child at the end of the day. Um, so what Narin has created, the, the, the TX guard minimizes the risk factors, um, and, of, of, and, of multiple yeah, surgeries. Yeah. yeah. And, and through its regenerative growth, meaning, you know, this new, um, biomedical device or tissue grows with the child, um, and again, takes away some of the plaque re- resistance issues that he talks about. It's infection resistant and maintains mechanical properties, meaning it works <laughs> as it grows. So yeah, it reduces the risk of repetitive surgeries, which takes off the constant financial and emotional pressures of the families, just making everyone's lives better. Yeah. So he, ha- he had it sitting there in the lab when we did the interview. Right. Do you remember and, what it looks like just and, to describe this? Well, and again, so I think, you know, in our minds, you know, we've just sat with somebody for over an hour and they're talking about the technology and this, that, and the other. And you've got now like, so you have this own visual of what you think it's going to be like. And it was just sitting there in a Petri dish <laughs> and had water sort of in it. And, you know, awesome. it looked very sci-fi. Glisteny. Yeah. And so, you know, not that you needed to look pretty or anything, but it, it was not something that you want to like photograph and like have displayed everywhere which we did which we did which yes we did. check out our website <laughs> yeah. if you want to see it i'm sure you're dying um to see it. but it looks like a, it looks like well what it is growing skin yep that's sitting in a petri dish now and i think it also in when it was in the dish it had this sort of uh um cylindrical shape to it but i guess it can take on any shape right it's sort of a mesh based yeah, that was my understanding that they can really mold this to however the need of the particular patient. But but yeah, not the most visually appealing technology we've seen. No, definitely <laughs> alien looking, I guess. 
If you're interested in the pursuit of innovation, visit us at scribblesc.com for exclusive video interviews, news from around the state, and a comprehensive list of resources to advance your ideas. That's scribblesc.com. Alien-looking medical device aside, his lab looks, well, totally normal and resides at Clemson University. This is the Pitwood campus of, a, uh, now we call it Prisma Health. But actually in about 10, 20 years, 10, 15 years ago, uh, you know, Clemson, want, Clemson has no medical school, right? So we always used to collaborate with uh, Charleston, Medical University of South Carolina. But there was nothing here for clini clinicians to actually interact with bioengineers. So, state of South Carolina, Prisma Health, down Greenville Hospital, and Clemson came together and decided that we, they, are, they were building this campus here. So, can we have engineers coming here and work with clinicians? So, that's where the whole technology came, you know. So, decided to that we can have one floor here. So, you know, a lot of times clinicians have no time to come to Clemson, it's too far away. So, if you are here, they can just come up and talk to you. And, you know. So, that was the whole idea of having interactive clinicians and bioengineers talking together. So that's where we are in the, uh, this campus called Patewood campus. And this is about uh, 30,000 square feet space on the fourth floor. And we have multiple companies also, small companies that are working here, as well as we have a center, uh, two centers here, NIH funded centers. But the benefits of being at Clemson go beyond the space. It goes into commercialization and funding support. Yeah, so I think Clemson has a good technology transfer office and you know, I'm friends with them, so I know them for many years. But they can help you out with the SCRA, SC Bio. There are a lot of different places you can go and they will connect you with them. And you know, if you want to start something new, the first thing they deal with the SCRA gives you some small money, right? That's what we got first time. And that really helps. Then, you know, that shows that you get some funding, then next funding is easier to get. So I think you try to team up with, you know, talk technology transfer first, make sure that they are okay that you are taking the product forward. And of course, it, you have to make sure that it's not conflicting with your own research. So you have to keep it a separate. And a lot of the conflict of interest, you have to write, make sure that you are not doing work in the lab that is belong to company. To build a Noviant, Naran had to branch out beyond his background as an academic researcher. As an you know, academic, again, academic researcher, I had no experience in what is required to take this product from my bench to a bedside, you know, so patients. And once I started doing all this thing, I realized that there's so many different parts involved. Actually, research, basic research is only 10%. 90% is actually business. How do you commercialize? How do you scale it up? How to optimize all the conditions for making it large batches? And what is the sterilization strategy? You know, there are a lot of different uh, things that I didn't even know, you know, required before we, I thought, you know, I have something that will work in patients, but it's much, much more difficult than that. So I'm learning a lot of, with, you know, my partners as well as, you know, that, you know, you need a partners. I mean, you cannot do business side of it. You need to have a lot of different collaborators and partners in the area that you don't know. But if you can develop a good team, that actually can be a central part of it and, um, it's fun, actually, seeing something in, uh, not only in the lab, but that going from lab to cellular, actually commercial product. It's a very good journey to look at whole thing, how it happens. And a big part of that journey is acquiring funding. 
The way it works out, you know, basic research is done by my own grants in the NIH. I have NIH grants to do basic research. And from there, the technologies come out. So we think that, okay, if I add this compound, actually tissue becomes slowly degradable. So that technology was developed as a basic research. And then we applied for patent from Clemson. And once that patent was issued, then we talk, start thinking about how can we commercialize. You know, Clemson cannot take it forward, right? I mean, they can just patent it and then they have to license to somebody else. Uh, we try to get uh, bigger companies getting involved, but you know, sometimes they do not want to get too early. They want to see that product develops to a certain extent before they can get in. So always you have to start something, small startup companies. So we decided that we should take this forward ourselves. I had a friend actually who was, you know, I did PhD together with him, but he went to industry, medical device industry, and he was there for 30 years, and I was in academia. So we came together, we said, okay, you know, your knowledge, he's MBA also. So he became, you know, CEO, and I became CSO. And then we developed a company and then talked to all the collaborators, what we have, Georgia Tech, uh, in Harvard, and say, okay, we need to develop, uh, to get this money, you know, we need to get some money in the company, right? So initially, Getting first funding is very difficult. So we started writing uh, collaborative grants. These are called SBIR or STTR grants. And we got two grants uh, last uh, two years. One grant was about 300,000. The other one, again, another 300,000. And that came from NIH. When we, you know, I'm an academician, right? I'm a scientist and I'm, I do not know business side of it. So we need somebody, some help that write a business plan about it. Of course, you know, my friend, he was a CEO, he had a little bit of background, but three phases actually is a good place for go to, you know, okay, we have this, uh, you know, technology, but we want to write a grant which can also be commercial viable. So we need to have commercialization plan that we, they helped us to write. And that is important for the getting actually funding for this kind of research. And as it relates to licensing his product. Yeah, I think licensing technology is a little bit difficult. It takes a lot, but you know, there's always a conflict of interest. I cannot talk to Clemson about licensing my own technology. So first thing you have to do is find a person who can interact with Clemson. And you can be on the, you know, when they talk to Clemson, I'm not part of it. So you have to create a wall. But if you create a wall, I think if you find good partners, they will work with you because they know if the inventor is involved, it is much more successful to get it forward because they will be step of the way. Everywhere they will be involved. So I think Clemson is very, uh, was good for me. I think they, they, they allowed me to work with companies and there's a possibility that if you can find a good team, then, then you can get your own technology and take it forward. So, you know, we've just come off listening to Naren really talk about how he has financed, actually commercializing a lot of his technologies or even just, you know, even the research itself. And um, part of that has included funding from an organization called the South Carolina Research Authority or, or SCRA. And uh, common theme. I mean, most of a our familiar acad- yeah, um, uh, we've, we've yeah, we've referenced them on lots of other podcast episodes. Um, and specifically with them, though, you know, Naren has worked with a guy named great guy. Uh, his name's Steve Johnson. And, you know, I think so much of SCRA, the focus is on their sort of their risk capital investments you know, under SC launch. But really, in my opinion, their actual more powerful role is working with uh, individuals like Naren and providing grant funding earlier. I mean, like we're talking at the baseline, the only kind of funding that exists in the state for this kind of technology commercialization funding. Um, and so, you know, 
Naren so far, uh, just from the state under SCRA, has gotten well over 100 grand in different in different kinds of uh, funding mechanisms that SCRA offers, but well over 100 grand. Coupled that with the SBIR funding that he's talked about, he's he's also a three phase client, and again we've talked about them in the past. Um, and so, you know, that's that's how, you know, somebody like a Naren, yes, there's power in what he's doing, but there's also a whole back-end support system helping him get to where we are today with having an Inovient even available for patients. And um, so another key kind of component of that is not so much just the SARA, but he also references working with the the Clemson Research Foundation, or, or CURF is also, we love acronyms in state government. It's great. You have to have them. <sighs> Man, I really wish I had like a playbook I could just give somebody and be like, here's all the, anyways. And it would be an uh, acronym. It, it would also be an acronym. Yeah. Yes. That, the irony of that, it would also be an acronym. Um, but anyways, I also, I mean, Chris is a great guy. I jumped on the phone with Chris. And Chris is like, I wish I could replicate my neurons. Um, and, you know, Chris has really dealt with, from the legality standpoint, the actual licenses of those three different technology applications. Um, one of them, actually, Steve, Steve got, Steve's wife got one of the initial, like, boxes for this whole other business application of the technology called Neolastin. It's a cosmetic. It doesn't require FDA approval. Uh, I didn't even know. I don't think Naren really talks about it Let much. Let me guess, anti-aging properties? Uh, yes, it is. <laughs> um but I loved some of the uh, sort of, you know, talk diving in with Chris a bit about Naren. Um, you know, he's, he also sort of reiterated that he has just been phenomenal at bringing in partners where he's needed them. Um, and in fact, you know, <laughs> literally his, his advice for sort of fellow faculty that he wishes, like I said, he had more of more like Naren would be, you know, you can either be king or you can be rich. And, you know, basically that meaning for a researcher, which I would think is, is, a little, is a little challenging, just this willingness to give up control, that you have to bring in different experts that actually right. know how to commercialize things and be willing to listen. Narin seemed very low ego and conscientious. So it feels like that that's um, really helped him get through these processes well in terms of knowing who to, um, recognizing what his superpowers are and uh, working with and collaborating with others who bring something new to the table. Well, and I would say it's also one step further. It's it's more of his goal is getting it out into society, not just sitting it in the lab. While Naren is a leading force behind Noviant, a researcher, an academic, and an innovator, he's also an educator. We wondered what advice he gives his students in following in his footsteps. I think one of the advantages of bioengineering the field is that it's we actually saving patients' lives. So when I go and talk to them about, you know, if you do something that is going to be helpful for patients, that itself is self-motivating. You know, a lot of pay, a lot of students come here, they have family history of, you know, somebody has a heart disease, somebody has a diabetes. So, you know, if you can relate to them and tell them, you know, this research is very important that you're doing and it's urgent. It's not like something that we just do it for, uh, you know, just for the sake of it. We are doing it for taking these products out that can help patients. I think that helps with bioengineering and a lot of motivation that can, we can give them. So that's what I, that's how I work on. Most of my graduate students tell them, you know, what is this, what is how this, what they're doing in the lab, how this is going to be important for the next five years. But old and new researchers and scientists alike can be discouraged by the process of seeking information, collaboration, and pursuing innovation. 
So I would say for all the researchers that try to find your own passion. Once you have passion, you get excited about something, you get up without alarm and you want to go and do something. That's what I'm doing for the last 20 years. I've been trying to find something that can make a difference. And you know, if you find something that, is, that you like, then you'll enjoy you know, most of your work and uh, it becomes your passion. To, you know. So that's what I, I tell my students that you know, if you're excited, then you'll come to the lab. I don't want you to push you to come. You know. If you're not inside, it's not there. You have to develop inside passion for something. Not only medical, so it can be anything else. But I think first you have to have passion inside. As for Naren, fixing age-old problems with modern-day solutions drive him. Yeah, I mean, some of the problems are not solved for 5,000 years. You know, I, you know, if you see a mummies, mummies, when they do X-rays of mummies, they have heart valve calcification, they have calcification in the arteries. And we still have the same problem in patients today. And you know, 5,000 years later, we don't have any solutions. So if we can come up with something that you know, increase, improve the life of a patient, or you know, generally increase the age of you know, living, that's where my passion is. I can try to develop therapies that can repair tissues by themselves, and hopefully low suffering, and maybe we can live longer, healthier. My name is Naren Vivare and those were my notes on innovation. Thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed the episode, please rate and review. Join us on LinkedIn or Facebook at Scribble Innovation. And don't forget, sign up for our newsletters. Special thanks to my co-host, Laura McIntosh, the Managing Director of the South Carolina Department of Commerce's Office of Innovation. I'm Joseph Nother, co-founder of Design Sensory and PopFizz. Additional thanks to our team, producer and editor Hunter Foster, sound engineers Mike Deering and Samuel Thomas, original music by Matt Honkinen, with additional support from Tia Nelson, Sarah Plemons, Ronnie Wilson, Robin Hendricks, and Lexi Williams. next time on Of Note. One of the things I'll say about our I6 process is we didn't always start out with the I6 process. So when we were founded in 1899, we weren't using the I6 process. But probably about five to seven years ago, we took the time to say, when we look at all of the innovations at Sunoco, which ones have been successful and why? And so, and we comb through years and years worth of, of data, worth of product launches, and try to understand what were the commonalities across all of those products and in terms of the process for uh, commercializing those products. 